the scriptures teach uh, that after the rapture of the church uh, and before the seven-year tribulation, according to Daniel 9, 24 to 27, uh, Jesus is going to judge believers, uh, his church. Uh, he's going to judge every single one of us. No one is going to be exempt. Uh, and that will be, uh, be uh, the time which he will judge you, and then he will reward you. Uh, Jesus talks about this uh, several places in the Gospels. Uh, the, Paul speaks the most about it of anybody that writes in the New Testament. And in Romans 14, uh, here's what Paul writes to the Roman Christians. He says, but uh, you, why do you judge your brother? Speaking of a Christian brother. Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? He says, uh, because we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. Uh, for it is written, he says, as the scriptures say, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then Paul concludes, then each one of us shall give account to the Lord himself. You ready for that day? He's speaking to believers. Uh, and he, he castigates the Roman church here um, because they were, they were very skilled at judging each other. And not that that would happen here, that anyone would judge another Christian. But it goes on in churches. And you know how it goes. You get facts from certain people and certain uh, stories that you hear and you formulate conclusions and you arrive at a particular conclusion that may not be correct, it might be erroneous. And that's what happened to Paul. And Paul said, uh, you can critique me and judge me all day long as the shepherd, uh, but uh, I know my motives. I know what I do, what I do. I know what I've done. And Paul is saying to the Romans, I can stand before God on judgment day and, and not fear. I, I, I understand Paul. Because uh, I live in light. I don't know how serious you are about your Christian walk. I'm dead serious about my Christian walk. That one day I have to give account to God for how did I shepherd the church? How did I love people? How did I deal with sin? How did I teach the word of God? Et cetera, et cetera. What were my motives? I think about this constantly. Uh, and so Paul says, you know, uh, to believers, be very careful how you judge other believers. You may not have all the facts at hand when you do that. And he says, by the way, Bear in mind that you're going to stand before all of the saints of all time and have your life put on display to be judged. So be ready for that day. And so uh, the Lord is going to repay us. He promises that he will. Paul is very clear about that. Uh, and, and if he's going to repay some Christians, the, also the flip side is true. Some Christians, uh, their reward before they stand before God will not be as much as it could be. So the way it translates when you look at uh, Christian judgment and reward, it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. No Christian will stand before Christ wondering, am I going to get into heaven or not? Uh, because as we will see, if your life is covered by the blood of Christ, uh, you are walking into heaven. Rewards is a whole other thing. And so what you have done in your walk with Christ here, when he rewards you, will echo in eternity. It's going to have huge ramifications for you. Uh, and so what will those rewards be? Um, as we think about the concept of rewards, um, uh, if you're wondering where else this motif comes from about the Lord judging us at different levels, uh, first realize that God is not equitable. I mean, insofar as everyone gets a trophy. You know, when kids are little and they're playing t-ball, who strikes out? Well, I've been to the t-ball games, you know. How many swings can you have, you know? You know, how many, you know, you, I've seen, I've seen him, you know, where the, the little, with my grandson, it's like they hit the ball, they run to third, you know? But, it may, you know, it, it's okay at that level for everybody to get a trophy. But when you grow, when you get, when you're older, you know, and you're playing ball, uh, well, rewards go to those who strive hard. So when you read the scriptures, uh, especially when you read like the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 or the parable of the minas in Luke chapter 18, Jesus specifically says, it's not me, he says, he's going to reward you based on what he entrusted you with. 
So in those parables, he's the Lord, the master who entrusted with you certain money, certain talents, certain abilities, etc. He's going to come back one day and, and want to know, how well did you invest that in my kingdom work? How well did you do? And then he's going to reward accordingly rulership rights in the kingdom. That's huge. That's huge. So we talk about judgment and reward because Jesus talks about it. The other thing, when you look at the concept of judgment and reward, you don't hear a whole lot of sermons on it. You really don't. Uh, why? Well, it's because Christians sometimes get uptight. You know this? And talking about reward. Because I've been a Christian since 1967. I get the drill. It's like you start talking about rewards and it's like, well, you know, I just love Jesus and serve Jesus. And, you know, that whole reward thing, it's like, you know, I don't want to put too much emphasis on that. You know, it's, uh, you know, no, I, I just love Jesus. Well, the way I look at it is Jesus speaks eloquently about giving you reward when he sees you. So could that be bad? I think not. Uh, Paul speaks uh, quite openly about how he's looking forward to reward. Second uh, Th- T- Timothy chapter 4, as he looks at the end of his life, right before he's, he's executed by Nero, here's what he writes Pastor Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, speaking when he goes to heaven, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. I mean, the day he stands before him. And not only to me, but to also all who have loved his appearing. We'll circle back and dig into that later in detail, but just share with you the verse at the opening to say, Paul was looking forward to a particular crown. He called it the crown of righteousness. It's one of five crowns as we're going to see. So I would say if Jesus talked about rewarding you and Paul's looking forward to being rewarded, should you be uptight? The answer is uh, no, you should relax. And, and love Christ and serve him well, realizing that one day he's going to pour blessing all over you after he judges you. Now, we want to get to my sermon. That's just all introductory stuff. So, and we still have power. Praise God. What are we talking about in the last couple of weeks? We're talking about that all believers will be judged and rewarded for how well they serve Christ. That's the main motif. I don't have notes, do I? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, all believers are going to be judged and rewarded by, by Christ. Uh, so we've already looked at the promise of a divine judgment and reward uh, based on Matthew 16 that uh, all saints are going to experience this. We've looked at the path of divine reward based on 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul talks about running the race to win. Uh, Jesus judges how ardently you ran the Christian race. We looked at the process of divine judgment and reward, 1 Corinthians 3, the judgment seat of Christ, where he puts all of your life into his, his fire and sees what comes out. Any gold? Any, any silver, any precious stones, any wood, hay, stubble? He judges not the quantity of what you've done, but the quality. He judges your motives. And that is an ominous thing. I had some people tell me last week, it looked like a, a number of people were walking out of the worship service kind of somber. Standing before God Almighty, covered by the blood of Christ, but standing before him one-to-one, telling him he's going to judge your life, the motives of why what you did. He's going to show everything secret you hid in your life, everything you thought is on full display. Is that, does that lead you to a point of hallelujah? I'm just saying. So if you were somber last week, I get it. I was somber. But it's an awesome thing because at the end of that, it's not about the judgment. It's about how he's going to bless you, all right? So... Get, digging into what he wants to talk about today is the provisions of judgment and reward. Well, like, well, exactly what are the rewards? That's what we want to talk about. Thinking minds want to know, right? And so before we look at uh, the concept of uh, reward, specifically the five crowns that are available to Christians, I want to talk about two things. Number one, the concept of inheritance 
And number two, why inheritance is radically different than reward. Inheritance is, you have parents, right? Right. So as they get older and pass away, what happens? Your brother gets everything? <laughs> it's possible, you know? No, you're, you know, your parents have a trust and a document. Hopefully they've thought ahead and they divide the inheritance among, among you. Uh, and they, if they have multiple kids, hopefully they even it out so it's all fair. Uh, and they bless you. Did, do you have to work for that? Not really. You just have to be the, the child of the parent. And they bless you with the inheritance. And so Titus 3, notice what Paul says about your inheritance as a Christian. He says, he saved us as Christians, not based on deeds, which we have done in, in righteousness. So translated, we didn't get saved because of, I said so many prayers. I was at church so often. I tithe so much. He says, your deeds don't save you. He says, uh, but we were saved according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When you got saved, he washed your soul clean of sin. That is a reward enough, is it not? He washed your soul clean of sin and he made you a child of God. You became a son or a daughter of God. There's no higher standing. Did you have to work for it? No, no. Who did all the work for it? Jesus on the cross when he died for your sin. In Romans chapter eight, verse 16, Paul says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we are heirs, heirs also of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So you should get it through your head that you might be earthly challenged when it comes to finances, but as you think about yourself as a child of God, oh, you got wealth beyond comprehension. Why? Well, your father owns the cosmos. I mean, think about that. Do you realize traveling at 14,000 miles an hour in a spacecraft, it would take you four, or 749,000 years to cross the Milky Way? The Milky Way? You know where you live? That it's one of billions of, you know, of, of galaxies. And, and, and it's massive. And the Lord who owns all of these things, he, he gave you salvation. So you're, you're an inheritor of that. Uh, but more than just salvation as a son or a daughter, what else do you get um, from the Lord? What else do you inherit? Well, in John 14, Jesus, the master carpenter said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe also in me. In my father's house are King James text says many mansions. And if it were not so, I would not have told you so, but I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also do you think Jesus lies do you think you're going to get to heaven and look at your house and go I saw that in the Lowe's parking lot that's like a shack you know you think you're going to be in your your heavenly home and look at somebody else's home and go oh too bad for them at the judgment seat Woo! must have been a whole lot of wood hay stubble it's kind of a small place you know he's going to bless you greatly He's going to bless you greatly. So uh, what do you get as an inheritor, as your son or daughter of God? Well, you got salvation. What else is he going to give you? Wonderful home. And I don't know, I'm an introvert with an extrovert job, which is totally bizarre. I'd rather be behind the curtain, you know, kind of chilling. But God said, no, I want you to, you know. So in heaven, you got a home. There's no daytime. There's no, there's no night there. So it's only daytime. You'll never get tired. You have a perfect body. That's another thing you inherit as a perfect body. Again, I submit to you again. I said this a couple of weeks. If you, had, if you could ask God, could you change a couple of things about me? Everyone would have stuff you'd want to change, right? Probably more than one thing. In heaven, you won't even think about it. You have a perfect body. You have a perfect house. No night. Your house is open all the time. People come in order to visit all the time. You don't sound too excited. You must be a bunch of introverts just freaking out. 
Oh, no, that's heaven? It's called fellowship. Okay, I'm just trying to help you. These are some of the things that you get. Unbelievable body that can do unbelievable things. Uh, a body that never gets tired. A, ne- a body that never knows disease, decay. You never lose anybody to death. Imagine heaven. How'd you get that gift? Uh, by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8. For, we are, uh, by, for by grace you have been saved uh, through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. Why? So that nobody can boast. That's how you, you receive that inheritance gift. You became a son of God. So if you are a son or daughter of God today, I'm just telling you you're infinitely wealthy because you are an inheritor of what your, your heavenly father owns. The second thing is uh, inheritance is what he gives you. Reward is what you work for. Reward's got nothing to do with salvation. It's how well did I serve my Lord? That's reward. Uh, Revelation chapter two, Jesus talks about this in his message to the church. He says, he who overcomes, or translated, he's a Christian who lives well, who keeps my deeds, basically follows the scriptures, until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He's pretty clear. He says, he shall rule them with a rod of iron uh, as the vessels of a potter uh, are broken to pieces, as I have also received authority from my father. Jesus is quoting from Psalm 2, if you're familiar with it, and he's telling you, as I as the Messiah will rule in the Davidic empire after the seven-year tribulation, I will share authority over the whole Davidic empire with those who ran well. Because that's what he says, to him who stuck it out to the end as a Christian, didn't throw in the towel. When I wrestled in high school, I wouldn't say I was the best wrestler that ever lived. I had a really good grip. That's about it. Because some guys were like stuck on me like white on rice. I couldn't get them off of me. And so, what, what, you know, you got a guy, he's just all over you. And I got my grip. I'm holding, holding his body parts. And, you know, I'm, you know, he can't pin me, but he can't make me let go. So I would just crawl to the outer rim. <laughs> Literally crawl. It was embarrassing. I looked up one time. I saw my dad in his U.S. You know, US Customs uniform. And he's just up in the stands look, doing this. <laughs> it's like, that is humiliating. You know, and I got this guy on my back. I'm crawling to the outer rim because if you got your hand outside the outer ring, the, the ref threw the towel. And then you jumped up and you walked to the middle ring and you got down on all fours. That guy got behind you. And then you could try to do a sit through or something to get behind him. Some people want the towel thrown. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I call it quits. You know, and so if you've called it quits in your Christian walk and walked away from it, it's not as vibrant as possible. Well, you're not going to rule and reign with Christ like he wanted to let you rule and reign. You'll be in the kingdom. But he tells you, if you overcome and hang on to the end, I will give you authority over the nations. He promises you that. But some Christians, they'll be there, but not ruling alongside Jesus. So degrees, varying degrees of, of, of judgment, varying degrees of, of uh, blessing. Uh, and f- what's he going to bless us with like reward wise? Well, we want to get into that. We want to talk about the five crowns that a Christian can receive. Uh, they're listed in the New Testament. Uh, and he tells you he's going to hand these out one day. And first, uh, first Corinthians 9.25, which we already read, which, which he talks about, uh, we run the race to win. But he also talks about uh, they run it to receive an, uh, an imperishable wreath. We an imperishable one. Uh, the word that they use for a crown, uh, there's two in Greek. Uh, diadem is the word uh, that would denote what a king would wear. Uh, Stephanos, uh, like the word Stephen, if your name is Stephen. Uh, so that's, that's derived from that word. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's the crown in a Panhellenic game that they would give an Olympic runner. That crown. It was perishable. Uh, it was made of laurel wreaths. Uh, 
uh, and it didn't last very long, but if you had that crown, you had major benefits a, as an Olympian. And Paul takes that motif of a Stephanos crown and he applies it to Christians to say, hey, they're running in the Olympics in Greece to receive a crown that's not gonna last a week. You're gonna be getting crowns from God's good hand that will last into eternity. Now we know from Revelation 4 that there will come the time we will lay those crowns before Jesus' feet, will we not? And we will lay them down and we will worship him with the crowns that he's given us. But it does not say that we can't pick them up again. It just says we will honor him. He will give you the crowns. You will honor him in humility because you're standing on holy ground by the person of Jesus Christ and his death. But he will bless you with crowns that will echo into eternity. So we want to look at five of them, all right? Crown one. And I don't have any slides, so hang with me. Crown one, crown of life. Uh, James chapter 1, uh, the Lord's brother says, Blessed is the man, in verse 12, who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Uh, this is also uh, talked about by Jesus in Revelation 2, verse 10 and following. Jesus himself says, I will give some who overcome difficulty a crown of life. What is the crown of life? It's given to all those saints who face great opposition and they don't crawl to the outer ring to end the match and, you know, that's not them. No, they hang tough. They go through the trials and they hang in there. Uh, Paul says in 2 uh, Timothy 3, 12, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will per suffer persecution. All. Some Christians don't want to suffer, uh, experience persecution uh, because it's uncomfortable. They don't want to speak up for Jesus where they live. They don't want to go against the so-called woke mob or whatever it is you're facing. They just kind of go with the flow. And Paul says, uh, if, you, if you choose to stand up for God, for uh, things that are true, logically, morally, spiritually, well, the world's going to hate you by definition. And if you experience persecution uh, and deal with it until God calls you home, you're going to receive the crown of life, which means there were some Christians who won't receive that crown. Why? Because they didn't do good under persecution. They, they folded like the proverbial lawn chair, and they didn't do well. So Paul says, uh, I look at my life, and I've lived it well all the way to the end. So did James, the Lord's brother. So you being persecuted at work where you are? Uh, maybe you're a student at school. You're being persecuted by a professor who's pushing you, wanting you to write certain things that go against logic, reason, science, etc. cetera. Um, I, I get the emails from people, what you're facing. Um, stand strong and true. Be courageous. And as you are persecuted, uh, the Lord will bless you greatly. And one day when you stand before him, uh, he will reward you with a crown of life for those who've endured well. Uh, it doesn't just mean persecution, the word for trial. Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, we know that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Uh, and he probably received... Um, the, the malaria that, that hit him uh, in Pamphylia on his first missionary journey, uh, and it affected his eyesight. Because when he closes out the book of Galatians, he says, I wrote this one not with an amanuensis, which was a scribe who wrote as you spoke. He said, see with what big hand I wrote the, the letter of Galatians, because he was writing as a blind man. I can relate. I pull my glasses off. It's a scary thing. I can't see either. And Paul prayed three times for God to remove this thorn in the flesh from him, this trial. And the Lord said three times, I'm going to leave it in your life. It humbles you. This trial humbles you. And it makes you understand that my grace is sufficient when you're weak. Don't you think that Paul was rewarded with a crown of life because he ran well? Which translates to your life, whatever your trial is in your personal life, 
when you stay close to Jesus and you don't you know, run for the exits, as it were, uh, you stand strong and true, and the Lord will, will deal with you. He will reward you. Uh, if you have a, a parent who uh, unfortunately gets Alzheimer's, uh, and you have a couple siblings who live near your mom or dad or whoever, and they, they won't show up to help, but you do, and you do the hard thing, the uncomfortable thing, the sacrificial thing, and you do it until God takes your parent home. You do not think God sees that trial? Absolutely he does. Uh, you might have got married years ago, and you were both non-Christians when you got married, partied, lived for the world, did whatever, and then one of you gets saved, and the other one's looking at you going, what happened to you? Well, I love Jesus now. And it makes your marriage difficult. And you have children. You want to take the children to church. And your mate says, I don't want them to go to church. And it's, it's a difficulty. But if you manage that to God's glory and, and live for the Lord in that, in that marriage, even though it's tough, that's your trial. Don't, don't you think that on the day of judgment, God's going to look at your life and say, hey, I have a special crown I want to put on your head. It's called the crown of life. That's crown one. Crown two is the incorruptible crown. Uh, it's from 1 Corinthians 9, 6. We already read this last week, read it today. He says, don't you know that those who run the race run all, but only one receives the prize? Remember? It, are there winners here? Do you like to win? Five people, awesome. Yeah, well, I told you last week, I confessed. I, I don't like to play games just to have a good time. It's God's will for me to play to win. Uh, I'm just saying, I have, I have issues, but that's, I just like, I like to win. And Paul says, if you run in the spiritual race, it's like the Panhellenic games, the Olympic games, uh, they're running so somebody can cross the line first and be the winner and be awarded a wreath. He says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Well, what kind of wreath is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the incorruptible crown. Well, what's that crown for? That crown is specifically for a Christian who evidences self-control in your life. Do you, do you believe in prayer? One person up top. Uh, do you believe in prayer? Yeah. Do you believe God answers quickly? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I, I'm going to show you that he will answer you really, really, you know, like in the next few minutes. Because all you have to do is pray this prayer. Dear Jesus. Before I leave this sermon today, show me in my life an area that is not under control. Why are you so quiet now? Because <laughs> if you pray that prayer, what's going to happen? Before you leave this place, you're going to know, oh, my mouth in traffic, woo, how I drive way too aggressive. You know what I'm saying? How I talk to my, my wife, how I talk to my parents. Oh, I'm insolent. This is the, yeah, 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 yeah. So if you believe in prayer, and now I know you don't believe God acts quickly, unbelievable. He does that quickly. Uh, pray for God to show you where your life's not in control, and then say, God, help me to gain control. So if you do have a, well, say you have a temper problem. No one? Yeah. And, you, and it's ugly, and you got to get it under control. Today's the day to say, Lord, man, this, 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 this crown is slipping through my hands. When the Lord's going to say, it's incorruptible, I will grant it to you, but you got to get control of your attitude, how quick you, uh, you spout off, you get angry, etc. You, you do that, and I will give you victory. And you might need to lean on the Holy Spirit for this one. God, you wired me, but I need your help, and he will help you. Uh, that, 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 that college student uh, who's watching stuff online that he shouldn't be watching, and it, nobody else knows about it, his parents don't know about it, his friends don't know about it, but he knows about it. He's Christian. He knows what he's looking at. 
And it's like, got him like an octopus. You, you, don't you think you can get victory? Absolutely you can. And the day you turn that over to Jesus to say, Lord, I need self-control, and you begin to develop self-control over that sin, one day he stands before you and says, awesome, I see the victory there. You got, you got victory over that. He's going to give you the crown. It's called the incorruptible crown. Crown three, the crown of glory. First Peter 5 is the crown of glory. Therefore, uh, Peter says, I exhort the elders, the spiritual leaders. We have them at our church, the elders. Among you, as your fellow work elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, he says to the elders of the church, shepherd the flock of God, of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and, and, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples as an elder to the flock. Why? Well, then he says in verse four, and when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you as an elder will receive an unfading crown of glory. This is specifically for an elder at our church. We have many of them who've been on the board, uh, rotated off, who are, who are on the board now, the, the elder board. Um, this is a special crown for an elder. I'm an elder as, as the teaching elder of the church. Uh, he says, if, if you shepherd the flock of God as he calls you to do, love the people, defend the flock, all that you're called to do, one day he will slip that crown on your head and say, I am so proud of you. You know what about you, but I really only want to hear a couple words from Jesus, and it would be good enough for me. You know what the words are. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's an emotional thing to even talk about. If he just says that to me, that's enough. If I as an elder get a crown of glory, man, that's just whatever. That's awesome, but thank you, Lord. But how do you get that? Well, you take care of the, the sh you shepherd the flock. And I will tell you, I've done it for 32 years as a shepherd. It's a, it's a highly rewarding thing. Because as a shepherd of a flock, and if you're a lay shepherd of the flock, it's rewarding because you get to see people come to know Jesus. You get to see people break free from addictions. You get to see marriages changed. You get to see lives changed. You get to see people turned on with the, with the truth of the word of God. I mean, there is amazing things that you, you get to see God do miraculous, amazing things that just jaw-dropping. It's amazing. It's a wonderful position to have in a church but I'm the first guy to tell you it's not simple. It is not a simple calling because uh, things happen to you as, a, as an elder that make you want to crawl to that outer ring to throw the towel. I'm not really a towel-throwing guy when it comes to my spiritual walk, and I don't think we have elders that way. So if you're an elder at our church, I encourage you, stay the course. No matter what happens in the body, love the body, protect the flock. Uh, we don't do it to lord it over you. It's not a power trip to me, to any elder. No, we're here to, to take care of the flock, to charge the flock, uh, and to live a godly life. But the tough part of being an elder are things like this. Your motives are quickly challenged by people who don't even know all the things you know. It, there's a sadness in that. Uh, you're frequently talked about by some people, not in a positive fashion. That's tough. Uh, you're blindsided sometimes by well-meaning people, sometimes by your friends uh, who desert you and walk away from you. It's a sad thing. I've had it happen. Uh, but as you look at all those things and you're an elder of a church, you say, you know what? Uh, I know why I do what I do. And I serve the flock of God because I love the flock of God. Uh, and I am called to God. And I have a lot of information at my disposal. And I will stand before God one day. And hopefully not just here, well done, good and faithful servant. But here's this special crown of glory. There's another crown called the crown of righteousness. Uh, Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy 4. We already talked about this. 
but a little different nuance in this particular crown. He says, uh, that's where he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. But at the end of this, he says, the righteous judge, the Lord, will award me on that day, not only to me, but all those who love his appearing. This is the crown of the person who looked forward to the coming of Jesus. That, that crown. Do you like eschatology? <laughs> Two people. Do you, you're sitting there going, what did he just say? He talks really fast. I don't even know what he's talking about. Eschatology. Okay? Study of the end times. The end times. Do you like it? You should. It's, it's, a, it's a vast portion of the Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nam. <laughs> it's prophetic. And what are they telling you? God's coming back. God's coming back. And then you get into the New Testament and his coming is imminent at any moment. I mean, I was driving to go pick up my friends uh, this week at the airport uh, and it was raining like usual. And I'm like, serious? My friends are coming from California. This is ridiculous. Can't we have some sun? And it's raining. And uh, the rain broke. I was on 28, heading north to Dulles. Look off in the distance. It's ominous looking clouds. And they kind of broke. And boom, big God rays came down. And I, I looked at my wife, Liz, and I go, check it out, man. It's like, it's like the finger of God. It's like a taste of the second, the, of the Christ coming, right? It's like, don't you think the rapture of the church is going to look something like that? Who can drive down the freeway and see that and not think of Jesus? Do you? You can talk in our church. It's okay. Just only when I let you, you know. Yeah. It's like you see those massive cumulus clouds when you're flying through the plane and you just, it's just, whew. I mean, I flew out one time. Uh, uh, going, I was going down to Atlanta and um, it was thunderstorms all around the airport in Dulles and we couldn't take off, sat in the tarmac in a hot plane in June. It was a hundred and something degrees outside. I think it was more than that on the inside. They turned the plane off waiting for a window for us to fly out of. We finally took off and we flew, flew down the eastern seaboard and we, we flew low. I think it's the lowest I've ever flown down to Georgia. And we flew through the, the clouds and you could see them as they were illuminated with lightning that would go down and around and all over the place. And everybody on the plane had their face to the window. It was better than the stuff they were showing online. <laughs> what were the people looking at? God. And I'm looking at it going, man, this has got to be like around his throne or something with all that lightning stuff. This is amazing. Are you excited about the Lord coming back? Because if you're excited about the Lord coming back, he has a crown for you. But if you're like, oh man, I got to get my act together. Woo. I hear that trumpet today. Man, I'm in, hmm, it's not a good day, you know? So some Christians are like, they, they were oblivious. They don't even think about it. What are you so excited about? Jesus come back. So if you are excited about the, that Jesus returning, you're going to get an incorruptible crown. And there's one more. It's called the crown of rejoicing. What's that crown? Well, Paul talks about it in Philippians 4.1. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. To the Thessalonians, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, for who is our hope and our joy and our crown of exaltation? Was it not you? Uh, in the presence of our Lord at his coming. For you are our glory and you are our joy. Uh, I read those words as a pastor and I look at you and I think after being here 15 years, you are my joy and my exaltation. Notice I didn't say you were my pain and my problem. <laughs> I said you are my joy and my exaltation. Why? Well, I've watched what God's been doing in your life. 
over 15 years. It brings me great joy. I've watched some of you become believers who aren't believers, who come to know Jesus. I've watched you grow up in the faith. It's awesome. I've watched you get victory over sin. It's amazing. And I know, as Paul says, on the day, uh, the, day the Lord raptures us, because he, he says, on the, the day of his coming, on that day, he says, as I'm up in the clouds looking out at who's there, I'm going to be going, yes, I am so glad you're here. He says, I am so happy. This is the crown of the soul winner. The person who led people to Christ and discipled them in Jesus to know him. There's a special crown for that person who not only led someone to Christ, but, but walked them into the faith. You have to stop and ask yourself, on the day that I stand before Christ and he hands out those crowns, am I going to get that crown? Because as I look around at all the people that are there, I can see faces of many people who are smiling because I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Somebody shared with me, who's going to be in heaven because you shared? Uh, soul winner's crown. What do you, he's going to spend a long time on a, on a guy named Billy Graham. You know what I'm saying? Crown, crown after crown. Because why? Because he shared the gospel with many people. Soul winner's crown. Uh, I don't know where you are on the spiritual track today uh, as a Christian. You might have just got on the track, spiritual track, running you know, on the track for Jesus because you got saved. Uh, you might just be walking right now trying to figure out the faith. What's eschatology? Never heard of that term. You just learn how to walk with God. Well, I would say uh, somewhere along the line, you're going to start need to jog with Jesus. Stop walking. Start walk, jogging with him. And if you're on the track uh, and you've been a Christian who's, uh, well, you're, you're, you're running um, and a little bit faster, we'll pick up some speed. Follow God even harder. And if you've been jogging a long time, I mean, I got saved in 1967. I've been on the track for a long time. It's like, it's a marathon. It's a lot of miles. Well, don't, don't get off the track. And if you've stepped off the track because of something that's happened to you, because stuff happens in life, doesn't it? Friends do things to you. You know, family members do things to you. Things happen in your life. Churches sometimes, things happen. They're problematic. And if you kind of like stepped off a little bit, I can't run as fast anymore because of those things. I'm here to encourage you to say, no, the Lord's looking down saying, hey, hey son, hey, daughter, get back on track. Fall hard after me because I'm gonna bless you greatly when I see you. Why don't you stand? We're gonna sing. We're gonna have uh, Brad and Rebecca come back out with the team I want to thank them again for guiding us in worship today with their team. Awesome job in worship. They also have a merchandise booth with the missionary items if you would like to support their work. But uh, let's pray for how we run. God, uh, may we all who know you run well. And if we haven't been running well, uh, show us how we can run better, harder, faster for you. Give us victory over sin. Uh, and may we live to see many people come into the kingdom because we share the gospel and we're not afraid. And we thank you for what awaits us, that you're not a God that just in, gives us an inheritance of salvation. You, you lovingly reward us for service rendered. How great you are. Bless the worship as we worship you. Amen. God bless you.